Friends, as we uh, are drawing near the end of our Life Builder series, I just want to remind you once again uh, what the Life Builder series is. As we uh, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11, the Apostle Paul says, a life is like a process of building. And that uh, the foundation of your life, the building of a church or an individual, is salvation through Christ alone. Paul says in verses uh, 10 and 11, By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, friends, we've reminded you how to build those things that are basics of uh, being a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And each week we've looked at a different area from the Lordship of Christ to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, prayer, the Word of God, so many of the basics. This morning is one that's important, but we often don't want to hear about it. We often think that this is the uh, this is the area of TV preachers. Those people you know, it seems that they're always asking for money. Well, I'm not asking for money. I'm reminding us who we are in our relationship as followers of Jesus. It is a stewardship message, and I don't apologize for that, because the secret of being a good steward is understanding what that is, and it's key to your relationship with the Lord. Now to give you a modern example, it's not modern anymore. I'm an old guy. It seems modern to me because it was it was in my life, but I was in my 20s when this example came on. Uh some of you remember a f- popular television show if you're a certain age. And if you're younger, you may have seen it in reruns or unfortunately you may have seen a really second-rate remake of this show. Between 1980 and 1988, filmed on the beautiful Isle of Oahu, there was a wonderful example of stewardship in the television show Magnum P.I. Does anybody remember Magnum P.I.? That great unknown actor who actually had turned down the role of a lifetime in the movies to be in this television show, he was going to be cast as Indiana Jones instead of Harrison Ford, but he turned it down because he wanted to go to Hawaii to film this TV show, and he played uh, former Navy SEAL Thomas Magnum, who was hired by a very rich man to be the security man on his estate. Now, that's the key, because the estate was owned by a secretive billionaire named Robin Masters. And his beautiful, enormous estate in Oahu, remember, it was called the Robin's Nest. Now, this estate was overseen by a steward, a caretaker, an estate manager who took his orders from the owner and took care of all of these beautiful possessions, the mansions, the swimming pools, the red Ferrari that Thomas Magnum drove. None of that belonged to the men on the estate. It all belonged to Robin Masters. And you know, the secret was his name was Masters because he was the master. All we ever saw of him was uh, a little speaker phone with his voice And if you listen close, that voice was the legendary actor Orson Welles early on in the series. Well, the steward was this fussy little British man named Higgins. 
And Higgins was usually played for comedy because the television show was a comedy slash adventure crime detective show. And Higgins, his fussiness over taking care of Robin Master's possessions, don't scratch the Ferrari, much less wreck it in a, in a gun battle or anything like that. That was a lot of the humor. And I always liked Higgins. I didn't relate to Thomas Magnum, the six and a half foot tall dashing Navy SEAL with that amazing mustache. I didn't relate to him. Or the helicopter pilot, TC, or the, or the uh, suave nightclub owner, Rick. I related to Higgins. <laughs> the little, portly, fussy Higgins. I thought he was the good one of the show. He's the hero of the show, in my opinion. But now, as I've gotten older, I realize that that position as a caretaker, as a steward over these amazing resources, friend, that relates to all of us as followers of Jesus. Because the Bible says we are stewards. In fact, Jesus, one of his most overlooked parables was the parable of the shrewd manager. It was actually a parable of a dishonest steward. Now, this is interesting. Jesus, and he told it, in fact, as a, uh, as a, as a way to judge and uh, reveal the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. That's the context of it. But listen how this stewardship parable begins in Luke chapter 16. It says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. That is potent. Here is a steward who's put in charge of his master's estate and he's mismanaged it. And as you read through that parable, you realize that he is using the man or the the owner's possessions for his own personal enrichment he's spending it on himself he's to be steward for another but he's making it about himself boy that parable i don't think of pharisees when i hear that parable i think of my life my life as a steward of the life god has given me and how much of it i make about myself Well, friends, I think that is something that we can all take to heart, this passage. So we'll get back to the end of that parable in just a little while. But I want to enlarge in the time we have of what it means to be caretakers. Caretakers. Stewardship is simply being a caretaker of the life God has given you. We often think of it in terms of finances and money alone. And that's an important part, as we'll see, because your wallet has a direct connection to your heart. But it's often been said in this graphic you see before you is a good reminder of that, that you're called to be a good and faithful steward in every area of your life. And that graphic reminds us of the time, the talents, the abilities, and the treasure. Time, talent, treasure. The three, the three T's of stewardship. Are you a good steward of time? Or do you just waste time? Do you use your talents wisely to bring a good return for the kingdom of God? And what do you do with the money that God provides you? Is it all simply for yourself? Or do you use it for the kingdom of God? 
Well, moving along, because uh, I know with communion at the end, we, uh, we don't want to be unmindful of the time. First point is that we are stewards of our master. He's not a reclusive billionaire. We can visit and talk to him every day. We have our orders clear for us in the word of God. And as the picture reminds you there, we are to caretake a life, a living thing. Just as a, a, a vintner, a guy who works in a, a, a vineyard, has to work constantly to provide a fruitful harvest of the orchard. Now, this is something I remember seeing as a boy. I lived in Silicon Valley and grew up there in, in Santa Clara County, California. Silicon Valley, though, when I moved there, was not Silicon Valley. It wasn't all about high-tech alone. There were the early high-technology companies there, like Hewlett-Packard and IBM, but the valley was famous for its fertile soil. It was famous for its orchards, uh, plums and prunes and walnuts. San Jose was the prune capital of the world before it was the Silicon Valley. But what I loved, that on those days where the smog wasn't thick, you could see the beautiful green vineyards on the hills around the valley. And they wouldn't have any harvest if they didn't work hard and take care of those living things and take away and prune them and, and keep them healthy. Well, God wants us to do that spiritually and in every area of our life. We are stewards of the lives God has given us. A good reminder of this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, whose life is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, speaking in a different context, it's talking about sexual sin, but the point is made in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I believe that doesn't only speak of living a godly life, but it's speaking also of being a good steward of the life we have because you are not your own. You were your own when you were dead in sin, when you were lost, but you have a new heart. You have a new nature. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within. You're now adopted as a child into the very family of God. You're not your own. As we remember at the Lord's table, you were bought with a price. Now, time, talent, and treasure, the Bible speaks of that. It speaks of stewardship, Old Testament, and new throughout Scripture. Speaking of time, and I have it on the screen. It's not an NIV uh, passage as most that I read. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, a familiar passage uh, from the English Standard Version. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time, the old translation tells us, because the days are evil. Redeem is a good translation because that word, making the best use of your time, literally is a financial word that means buy it back. Now think of how we speak of time. I'm passing time. I'm spending time. I'm killing time. I'm wasting time. But the Bible says as a child of God, you should buy back that time and invest it in the kingdom of God and in the lives of others. We're all given eternity in precious little coins of one minute at a time. And how are you spending it? And who are you spending it for? 
If we're honest, a lot of our time is just filler, just spent sitting in front of a television, just passing time on our computers, just passing time. Bible says these days go by quickly. Use them wisely for God's sake. Not only is time something we're to be stewards of, but talent and treasure. One of the wonderful passages from the Old Testament is when God is bringing his people after wandering in the desert into the promised land. And he warns them. He said, here in the desert where there's no ready food or water, you depended on me every day. But when I give you the promised land as a gift, you're to be stewards there. But as I give it to you as a gift, life will be easier and you won't rely on me anymore. And you'll think it's all due to your own abilities and you'll forget me and you won't be faithful. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, in that warning, God tells his people, beginning in verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and strength and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Did you catch that? Your wealth is a gift from God. Your ability to produce that wealth, whether it be working at a computer or building a building, whatever it is, that's a gift from God as well. It's all a gift from our master. And we are to be good stewards of it. Not only are we stewards of our master, but we serve him. Not the tools that come along the way. We serve God not money. We serve God, not money. The Bible warns of that. Money is a wonderful blessing. It's a tool. It's to be used for something good for time and eternity for the kingdom of God. It's not an idol that we worship and serve. Luke chapter 16, remember, that is the, this is the conclusion of the parable of the shrewd serve, or the shrewd manager. The Lord makes his point at the end of that story. He says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Because if we're honest, when we make money an idol, who's really the idol? It's self. It's what money can do for us. Power, prestige, comfort, pleasure. It's all about us. God says, you have only one Lord. You only have one master. That's God himself. That's the lesson of that important parable. Now it says, you will love one and despise the other. The point is that money has to do with who do we love first and foremost. First Timothy Powerful passage, speaking of the love of money. That passage is so often misquoted by the world that says money is the root of all evil. No, it never says that. Money is neutral. It's just a tool. But in this passage, we are encouraged that contentment and godliness is to be our goal, not ease, pleasure that money provides. In fact, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap 
into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now we we understand that even happens today. We see great ministries fall because of self being the master. We see people in sexual sin, putting pleasure first. We see people in financial sin, being caught with their hands in the cookie jar. But the Bible says we serve God, not money. The love of money, worship of money, making it an idol. Oh, that's the root of all kinds of trouble. Jesus puts it so well, as our Lord, the master teacher, always did. He says money is not a wallet issue, it is a heart issue. In the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus turned his attention to money in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says, do not store, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's your treasure? Is it the Lord? Is all your love reserved for Him? And the blessings He pours out on you? Or do you make a tool like money an idol focusing on self? Well, that contentment with the Lord, that's something put so well in Hebrews chapter 13, so pointedly. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Did you get that? It's not just saying, Oh, be happy to be poor. No. It says you have Jesus. He'll never leave you. Jesus is not just enough. Jesus is so much more than enough. If you have Christ with you, you are rich in every way that counts. The things, the temporary things that this world offers, those pale in comparison. Billy Graham, speaking of this heart issue, I have a quote from Billy Graham. He says, tell me what you think about money and I can tell you what you think about God for these two are closely related. A man's heart is closer to his wallet than almost anything else. Boy, truer words. Not only do we serve God, not money, but God, as we saw in that parable, desires mindful stewards. Now, mindfulness these days, that's the next point, mindfulness these days is often misused as a type of meditation, an existential being in the moment. But mindful just means being alert, being aware, being intentional. Your stewardship of life should not just be something that happens as an afterthought. You should be intentional about it. Your time, your talent, your treasure, every area of your life, your relationships, everything is God's gift. And you need to be a good steward of it. And he wants us to be aware and organized and put this in place. In fact, the Bible gave us a wonderful example in the letters of Paul. 
the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, the first Christian body. It was born on the day of Pentecost. And then the churches spread across the Roman Empire in those days. But that first church, it was struggling because of famine and droughts and the people were poor and they needed help. And this is where we all woke up that though we are separate local bodies of believers, we're the great body of Christ and we need to help one another. God blesses one group with, with finances, another group's in need, that group helps the others. Why? Because those finances belong to our master and we understand that. So Paul gathered resources, financial resources from the churches, the new churches that were planted during the missionary journeys. These people as Christians, they recognize that those folks in distant Jerusalem, speaking a different language, many of them Jewish while these people were mostly Gentile, that they were brothers and sisters. And out of love, they shared their resources with them as good stewards. Paul took with his co-workers this enormous offering and took it to them. Well, in the midst of his instructions about that offering, we find good lessons for us today in how to handle the financial side of our stewardship. We should be regular and organized about it. And for, in fact, a good example is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Speaking of that offering, Paul says about the collection for God's people. Verse 2, he says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Paul didn't want to arrive in a town and have to put on a telethon and, and twist the screws and twist people's arms and, and really drum and be forceful in raising this money. He says, no, just make it a regular part of your Christian walk. On the first day of the week on Sunday, set aside a sum of money. So when I come, it'll be taken care of. Not only is this organized and regular, but I look at that principle and I said, it's proportional according to your income. God isn't asking you to give something he hasn't first given you, recognizing that it's the Lord's to use. Remember Jesus' greatest commendation as far as giving? It was for the widow who dropped the smallest little coins in the offering receptacle. Because Jesus said proportionally, she gave everything she had. She has great blessing from God and reward in heaven because of that. So our giving should be regular, it should be proportional. And it says in 2 Corinthians, speaking of that same offering, in chapter 9, verses 6 to 8, Paul says this. Remember this. There's a principle, he says, and it's something that we in rural setting understand maybe better than people in the city. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all, all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It comes from the heart. It's an act of love. 
And it's something that you should decide ahead of time, not somebody putting pressure on you. It's not like a telemarketer trying to trick you out of something. It's something you do, recognizing the proportionality of it, doing it regularly, and doing it cheerfully because you're giving back to God something you recognize as His, and it will be a blessing to somebody else. Those of you who know the secret of giving, your time, your talent, your treasure, you recognize that you receive back far more, far more than you can ever give. God desires mindful, intentional, purposeful stewards of the resources that He gives us. And when we do that, God rewards faithful stewards. God recognizes that you have made Him the Lord and Master of your life. When you invest your time in the lives of others, when you share relationally Jesus' love and share the good news with others, when you give to those needs that God brings to your attention and you do it for Jesus' sake out of love, God wants to do nothing more than reward you. Now, I think back to Magnum P.I., Robin Masters, as far as I remember, never went to that estate in Oahu and called Higgins on the carpet and looked at all of the expenses and uh, and sought to condemn him or reward him. He's just always off stage. The scripture says your master is coming back. And you need to be mindful of that. That one day we will all stand before him and give account of how we spent our time, our talents, and our treasure. He seeks not to condemn you for it. He desires to reward you and bless you and commend you. God, God's people struggled in the Old Testament with faithlessness and putting themselves and other idols first. But God challenges them in the prophet Malachi. It's a powerful passage. God has already confronted his people, said, you're robbing me. And they said, well, how are we robbing you? He says, in offerings and tithes, you're robbing me. You're under a curse because of it. And God challenges them on this. In Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And he's referring to the Old Testament practice of giving a tenth. That's what the word tithe means, a tenth to uh, the ministry of the temple and so forth. That there be maybe food in my house. Now get this, God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. God says, when you are faithful in giving your part, I'm faithful in doing my part and showering blessing on you. Now the picture of this is that when they are faithless, they're living in a spiritual and physical drought. The showers of blessing, the rain from heaven doesn't happen. God says, trust me, if you give, I will give more. You cannot outgive God. Showers of blessing on faithfulness of God's stewards. Back to that example of sowing and reaping, that agricultural example in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. God wants to bless generosity because God is generous. Look how God blesses those 
intentional givers. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. Now, he who supplied seed, there's that sowing and reaping example. Now, he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Do you get that? When we are generous, the generosity of God enriches us so that we can be more generous. And the purpose of all of this is that people are blessed and they think not us, they think our Father, our Master, whom we are only stewards of. And God receives thanksgiving. What a beautiful process. But what do we do so often? God gives us the seed and we use it for ourselves. Can you imagine if you are really like a steward farmer and in in early spring that big truck rolls up and it has the finest seed for you. Maybe it's wheat and the second trailer is the best barley seed. And then those big trucks roll up again after harvest time. And the master, the owner says, where's the harvest? And you say, well, what do you mean? That wheat seed? Well, I ground that up and I made bread out of it. And it was actually more bread than I needed. So I fed the ducks and I, uh, what about the barley? Well, you know, that was, that was thirsty work. And so with my friend, the hops farmer down the street, we made a little bit of beer and yeah, we enjoyed it and had a barbecue and had a good time. And you mean that seed was wasted on yourself that's that's for a harvest there should be so much more than just your life so you see friends when we are stewards the kingdom of god grows out of your life into the lives of others the harvest is not just personal righteousness but it's people coming to know jesus through your generosity Supporting people like Lindell and Paolo on the mission field. Sponsoring children through House Upon the Rock that they may receive their education and so forth. You grow the borders of God's kingdom. And He wants to be generous to you. The more you give, the more God gives you the ability to give. I've seen it time and again that the most generous people I know for the kingdom of God, they never lack Because God always replenishes them. And they keep being able to be a blessing. And God is praised. Well, we often, because of the strong message, are afraid of Matthew chapter 25. Separation of the sheep and the goats. But that's a secondary example to the first example, which is the parable of the talents. You have a master who has given you talents. Talent was a measurement of of precious metal. But it also means the talents that God has given you, the abilities that He's given you in life. Your master has given you talents and He's coming back one day and you will give account for how you spent your life. Did you invest it and bring in a greater return? Or is it still just you living for you? God wants to reward you. And what a precious reward it is. It says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. That servant's the steward. 
Well done, good and faithful steward. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The father's estate, kingdom of God, your home in heaven. No longer are you just a steward, but you're in the family of God. This becomes your birthright and your home one day. God loves to reward faithful stewardship. The generosity of God, this being the, the first Sunday of the month, we remember it at the Lord's table. At this time, I'd like to encourage you at home to lay your hands on your communion elements and those here uh, among us taking the fellowship cups with the various layers begin to peel back that cellophane. cellophane that top one's a little tricky. Because when we do that, we recognize we are remembering God's greatest gift, God's ultimate act of generosity when a lost and sinful world was given the Son of God as a Savior to take our sin and pay the price on the cross on our behalf. Remember, remember God gave His best when He gave Jesus. That point is made so clearly that the smallest child can memorize John 3.16. His gift was an act of love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what we remember today. That's what Jesus did for us at the communion table. Before we share the elements. Let's spend just a brief moment in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on your word this morning, your word speaks so much about stewardship. It doesn't shy away from talking about money because, Lord, that's part of our lives. Money is a reflection of our abilities and our gifts our possessions, which we only own for a brief season. They're only on loan from heaven. We can't own land. It was there before us. It'll be there long after we're gone. The things that we have and believe we hold so tightly, Lord, they're like water running through our fingers. Lord, in the brief time that we have them, may we use them for your glory. May we not waste our spend time unwisely, but may we redeem it and buy it back for your kingdom's sake. May we invest in the hearts and lives of others. And may our generosity and cheerful giving reflect the great giving and generous heart that you have. Lord, that generosity was on clear display when you gave us Jesus and though, Lord, we as sinful people rejected him and nailed him to a cross, he fulfilled his purpose in coming and took our sin and paid the price on the cross. Lord, we remember his great love today as we come to the Lord's table. Lord, touch our hearts fresh and new with the giving love of Jesus that our heartbeat may reflect yours. Father, we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Friends, reminding you of the familiar passage in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 11.
Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We'll take in hands the element, the bread or the wafer. It's a symbol and reminder of the body of Jesus, freely given of his own volition on our behalf to the cruel cross. Jesus said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's share it together. At the end of the meal, it says in the same way, Jesus took the cup. I invite you at this time to take your cup. If you have a fellowship cup, peel back the foil layer. As Jesus took that cup in the Passover meal, it was known as the great cup of blessing. Jesus gave it a new, profound meaning. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us share together. Amen. Friends, those of you here with us in person, let's stand together as we are dismissed in prayer. Let's stand. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you of the, for the blessings of this day. We thank you for this first day of the week. First day of the week was Resurrection Day. And Lord, we remember the joy of Easter morning. Lord, such a profound and great thing that we celebrate it every week, a weekly anniversary of Jesus' resurrection. Father, thank you for your good word today that we are gifted in so many ways and we are to be good stewards of these lives you've given us for your glory's sake. And Father, thank you for the Lord's table. Oh, what a blessing it is to remember Jesus' deep, deep love for us. And now, Father, as we close our service with a worship song, we pray that you will dismiss us from this place of worship to our places of ministry. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.